We are going to be in the book of Hebrews. So if you want to turn there, we're going to be in chapter 10, the book of Hebrews. <clears throat> if, you're, if you're still, the Bible is still a new book to you and you're still trying to figure out where all the chapters or where all those things are, it's towards the end of the New Testament. Pretty big book, so not that hard to find. Um, so I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And we are in the middle of a ser- series that we are calling Engage. Um, we started it a couple weeks ago. Jordan and I talked about spiritual drift. And then and sp- when we talked that day specifically, we talked about, um, we, it was centered on a key passage from the book of Hebrews. So it's good that we're there. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse, um, what verse is that? Chapter 2, verse 1. The author says, we must pay the most careful attention therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. And we want to take that seriously. So we talked about spiritual drift and that the opposite of spiritual drift is for me to engage intentionally in, in practices and in things that, that help me not to drift. Um, and so that's why this whole series is about engage. And we're talking about what we believe are the five core things that will help keep me from drift, drift or even if I do drift, because we're all going to drift, um, that things that will help quickly pull me back to him. So that's, that's our focus. And they're just five things that people who follow Jesus do. Lisa did make this postcard for us um, as a reminder that you can stick in your Bible to, to remember these five things because they really are core to what, who we are at 12th, we feel like. Um, this is something we've talked about for a long time with the deacons and staff. These five things are really important. So if you didn't get one on the way in, there's some on the, there'll be some on the table on the way out that you can grab or on the information desk. But the challenge really is, is we want to be People who are fully engaged in following Jesus. That's what we want. We want to be fully engaged in following Jesus because He is our Lord and Savior, deserves nothing less than our full engagement. Now, before I jump into Hebrews 10, I need to share an important concept with you that I, something that I want us to carry throughout this series to think about. It's, it's an important concept to me. I've talked very briefly about it before, but I want to bring it up again. It's this whole idea of the difference between a bounded set and a centered set. A bounded set and a centered set. Um, in a bounded set, the focus is on the boundaries, and we're gonna, we got an image of these two things side to side. In a bounded set, the whole focus is on the boundaries. In a centered set, the focus is on the center. And if you have a bounded set spirituality, your spirituality is really focused on those boundaries or things that are called boundary markers, um, things that we do that kind of define us from people, and we know who is spiritual and who's not by who does the boundary markers. But a centered set spirituality is very different than that. A centered set spirituality is, is focused on the center. It's focused on Jesus, the one who is at the center, the author and finisher of our faith. It's focused on keeping my eyes on him. And at the, if you have a centered set spirituality, it's all, all about movement, and it's all about trajectory, and it's all about direction. Am I moving closer towards him? That's the key thing if you have a centered set spirituality. I've been in a church that was bounded set, and I can tell you the great danger of a church that's focusing on the boundaries all the time and just the practices themselves where it becomes, you know, do this, do this, do this kind of thing is a checkbox spirituality. Judgmentalism can arise in that kind of a church and a lot of legalism. I've seen it. And I just want everybody to know, and I want to emphasize that at 12th, we are committed to being a centered set church, that our focus is only and always on Jesus and the question of what can I do to just be moving more closer to him, more in alignment with him. So last week, we talked about, and I just want you to remember that, as we go through all of these next four practices, don't think about them in terms of check boxes to be spiritual. It's not the point. 
These are things that move me into that relationship with God, okay? That's how we think about these four practices we're going to do the next several weeks. So last week was the first practice of engagement. Starts with a G. Who remembers what it was? What was it? Grow. Grow. We want to grow in our walk with God. We want to grow in our relationship. We want to walk with Him and fellowship with Him. So now turn to Hebrews 10. You should be there on your phone or in your Bible. We're going to start in verse 21, and we're going to look at today's second discipline or practice of engagement. And I'm going to be reading verses 21 to 25, so follow along. And in this text, what you're going to see is first a very important statement in verse 21, and then three commands are going to follow from that statement. There are three commands that are natural responses to the reality of verse 1. And that statement in verse 21, where speaking of Jesus, the author says this, we have a great priest over the house of God. And I'm not going to go through all of Hebrews, how he sets that up, but we have Jesus, a great priest over the house of God. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, there are three things we must do. Three things. All stated as commands that we're compelled to do. The first command's in verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near to God. That's what we talked about last week, right? Grow, drawing near to God, walking with Him, growing in my walk with Him. The second command, second command is in verse 23. So look at verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. This community was really struggling with spiritual drift. We'll see that more in a minute. And the third command is in verses 24 and 25. And here he writes, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. All the more as you see the day approaching. So that command, the third one, and those two verses are my focus this morning. And I want to take a few minutes to look at those two verses. And in it are four really important verbs. And I need to tell you something before I dive into the four verbs, something that I think is important to know in understanding that. Um, In Greek, all four of these verbs have a preposition attached to the front of the verb. We don't do that in English. But in Greek, when you stick a preposition on the front, it greatly intensifies that verb. It makes it really strong. It like puts it in bold. It gives it kind of an oomph. The other thing about these four verbs, not only are they intensified by a preposition, but they're in the present tense in Greek, which I know is meaningless to most of us, right? But what the present tense in Greek communicates, it's that it's an action that is to be ongoing, habitual, to keep occurring. It should be customary in your life. It's not just a one-time thing. It's a thing that should be happening all the time. So with that as a background, the first verb is in verse 24, and it is to consider, to consider. Um, The word in Greek, it means to observe carefully, to consider carefully, you know, think about deeply. It's to direct one's whole mind towards an object, really strong word, and to be doing that ongoing. And so what are we carefully considering? And that's the next verb. What we're considering and thinking about very carefully is to spur one another on, to spur one another on. Um, In Greek, the two words, if I take that preposition and the verb and put them together, the preposition means to be near, and the verb means to sharpen. So to be near so as to sharpen. Uh, When you hear that, 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 does that make any, a Bible verse jump out in your mind that you've heard about being near to sharpen somebody? 
Yeah, Proverbs, book of Proverbs, chapter 27, verse 17. I wish we had a picture of Charles has this awesome t-shirt that has it in chemistry. It's really cool. Uh, our oldest daughter would love that. Um, Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That word means to stir up. It means to motivate, to rouse someone to something. It's to prod, it's to goad. That's what that word means. Um, I really love that word spur. How many of you here have ridden a horse before? How many of you have ridden a horse? Even if you haven't used spurs, you understand the principle of, you know, giving the horse a little nudge on the side with your, with your feet, right, to get his movement moving a little forward a little faster, get that forward motion going. So I love that word spur, that that's what he's calling us to, is to spur. But to spur onto what? Well, he says in the text two things, to spur to love and to good deeds. We're to be spurring, prodding each other on to love and good deeds. Um, I love that word good. In the Greek, there's two words for good. There's just a word for, like, it's just good, ethically good, the right thing. There's another word, kalos, which means not just good and the right thing to do, but it's done in a way that it's beautiful and it's attractive, and that's what the word that he uses here. Spur each other to be people of love and who do live the kind of lives that people are attracted to Jesus. So the clear implication of me in all of this is that we all need help being motivated, being spurred on, to be prodded, right? So that we continue to engage God and we don't drift. We all need that. So then I'm like, hmm, say more. How do I do that? So I spur on. How do I do that? And the next verb is this. It's been the negative, but it's not giving up meeting together. Not giving up meeting together. The word again is strong. It means to separate connection from. It means to neglect, to leave in the lurch. And as he says, some people are in the habit of doing that. They're in the habit. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But rather than, not, than giving up meeting, not meeting, neglecting the meeting, he goes to the fourth verb where he calls us to encourage, to encourage, to come alongside, to give help, to give aid to each other. And then he adds all the more as you see the day approaching. And the day meaning the day Jesus comes back. So let me ask you, is the day of Jesus coming, is it approaching? Yeah, it is. Is it closer today than it was yesterday? Okay. I don't know when it is. I'm not going to try to guess, but it is approaching. And so therefore, we're called to encourage each other all the more as his return is approaching. When Jordan and I spoke a couple weeks ago about drift, we were in Hebrews chapter 3. And I want to read two verses from Hebrews 3. It's verses 12 and 13. It says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another, can you say this word with me, daily, encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I think I'm sensing a very important theme in the book of Hebrews, and it was a book written to believers who are really struggling with spiritual drift, really important. So here's what I learned from Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, that God is serious about this community, the local church. He's serious about it, and he's serious about our ongoing and our commitment to its life and to its service, to its ministry, our commitment to the gathering, that this is really important to him. And if you think about it, it totally makes sense. God has always cared deeply about community. God exists in a community of three in one, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is in His nature. When He created Adam at first and He was alone in Genesis 2.18, it's not good for Him to be alone, so He creates the woman. God's been on a mission to restore all things back to Himself and all people 
back to himself. And in the Old Testament, he created a community of people to be on mission with him, Israel. And in the New Testament, Jesus creates a community of people to be on mission with him. And it's the church. Do you know that almost all of the letters written in the New Testament are written to churches and not to individuals? Because community is important to God. It's important to Jesus. It's so important. He calls this gathering, he calls it his family in Matthew 25. He calls it his body. Multiple places, Ephesians 1, Colossians 1, I can show you a lot of places. This is his body. And he calls it his bride in Ephesians 5.25. Isn't that powerful? I mean, I don't know that we think about that, but as we're sitting here together, we are his family, we're his body, we're his bride. How do you feel when people treat your family or a member of your family as unimportant? How do you feel? For the men that are married here, how do you feel if people ignore or badmouth your bride or don't take her seriously? How do you think Jesus feels when his body is neglected, when we don't take seriously the family, his family, when we don't take seriously his bride? So our second practice of engagement, it's to gather regularly with other believers in authentic community. It's to gather. It's to spur each other on to love and good deeds. It is to encourage each other daily, all the more as we see Christ coming. Or in the words of the text, it's to not neglect meeting together. To not neglect meeting together. And by gathering together, God just doesn't simply mean show up, enjoy the music, hear the sermon, head home, fill a seat kind of thing. That's not what he's talking about. In speaking about the kinds of things he desires for his family, his body to engage in, in the New Testament... There's a lot of these commands that are called one another's. Do these things with one another. And there's a lot of these each other's. Do this with each other. And there are 13 one another's. I've kind of got the list up there. I'm not going to go through them all. But he says things like serve one another, live in harmony with one another, offer hospitality to one another. The each other's, there's 16 in the New Testament. Carry each other's burdens, forgive each other, bear with each other, live in peace with each other. But the word that occurs most in the one another's and the each other's is the word love. Multiple times that word to love each other, to love each other deeply from the heart, sincerely, um, to increase and overflow in our love. And I want you to know, you cannot do the one another's and the each other's if you just kind of warm a seat every Sunday and that's it, right? You can't do that. You can't live into that reality. Something else I learn about gathering from the Scripture that's important. The early church, we're told in Acts 2.46 and in Acts 5.42 that they gathered in the temple and they gathered in homes. In the temple, in homes. In gatherings both large and small. Both of those environments were important to them. And I want to tell you, to live an authentic, life-changing community, I need both. We need large and small. Um, the large gathering brings things to me that I don't get from the small community. There are things that happen in here that I need, right? And there's things that happen in that small community of people that I'm walking with that I get from that that I don't get here. Especially a lot of those one another's and each other's. We can do some of that in here. I see it every Sunday. I see people grab somebody, pray with them over a need. They're doing some of those. But the best place to do the one another's and each other's is in that small community. So here's what I really want to get across and why I started with that bounded set, centered set. That 
When scripture and when I'm talking about the importance of gathering together, it's, I'm not talking about a checkbox spirituality, right? What you're supposed to do so you don't have a, to assuage your guilt or whatever. It's not showing off how spiritual you are because you're, you're holding to these boundary markers that define you. It's about Jesus who's at the center of it all. Does that make sense? So gathering community, I do that because it helps me move closer to Jesus and it helps keep me there. That's the whole point of the gathering. It's simply engaging in exercises or practices. So one of them is gathering and putting myself in an environment, two environments, large and small, and putting myself in environments that help me to love him better and follow him more clearly and more dearly and more clearly. So this whole talk about gathering, this important in scripture, it's about loving his bride. It's about loving his family. It's about loving his body. Does that make sense? That's what this is all about. I mean, think about it. Why do you absolutely love going to a KU football game at Memorial Stadium? Yeah, that's supposed to be very funny. Brent, I'm glad Brent, like Brent, that's very, very funny to Brent, right? I hear MU fans put pictures like this up on websites all the time. Okay, nobody goes to a KU football game. Let me go to Arrowhead. Why do you love going to Arrowhead? It's not just the tailgating and it's not just to watch good football. It's because the reason we go to events like that is because you love being around people who love the same thing you do, right? That you're all cheering for the same thing. You're all standing and rising for the same occasion. You're, you're rooting for the success of the same people. You, just, you have this deep passion for something. Everybody else around you has that passion. You leave with a headache because it's so loud, but you absolutely love it. And I want you to know, people pay to do that. And that's, that's cool and that's awesome, Right? But do you not know that what happens in here and this community is more important than what happens in Arrowhead on Sunday mornings? Do you know that? We are here to worship and to love and be formed by God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to be formed and so we can be sent to impact His kingdom. This is the single most important thing that happens on earth. And should we not come to this with the same level of passion that we go to a KU game or a game at Bramblage or a game at, at Arrowhead? That's to me what the community is for. And I think we know this. We know. But 12th, we need community. We need it. You cannot consistently walk with God without walking with others on that journey. You can't do it. It's nearly impossible to survive spiritually without involvement with other people in the community. And that's why we cannot afford to neglect gathering large and gathering small. We can't afford to neglect it. Um, I think you know this. But sin flourishes in isolation. And drift flourishes in isolation. Actually, in a minute, a friend and I are going to talk about that. I've seen too many people try to go it alone in their walk with God only to stumble in that relationship. Just this summer, I took a hike on the prairie. That's a pretty common theme, right? Taking a hike with a friend. And we were out there and we were talking and he was filling me on his spiritual journey and he came to Christ in high school. And when he went to college, he decided to go it as a lone wolf Christian. So he didn't gather with any other believers. And he said that by the time he graduated, his spiritual life was a shambles. It was a shambles. So once he got a job and got back to that place, he, he found a church body to belong to, a family, and started going. And we just talked about how much he's grown. That's why Martin Luther said to gather with God's people in united adoration of the Father is as necessary to the Christian life as prayer. Let me illustrate it this way. We've all been around a burning fire, right? Campfire, 
where you've been, at a, you've been in Colorado in the winter in a cabin at a fireplace. I mean, if you haven't experienced that particular thing, you're missing one of the greatest joys of life. But we've all been around a fire. And fires have the logs and all that, but they also have embers. What happens if you take a single ember and you pull it out of the fire and you just set it on the side? What happens to that ember? Do what? Yeah, it dies. It starts to go out. You can see it losing its fire. Even if it totally loses its fire, if you take that ember and you put it back into the fire, what happens to the ember? It reignites. It gets the flame back, right? And it's the same way with us. You and me, I'm an ember, and you're an ember, and we need the fire of community. We need the fire of this community. And so let's keep ourselves in the flame, so to speak, because we so desperately need it. And, you know, this is the way of Jesus. And each week, I want to talk about how Jesus, to me, models all five of these things. He models all of them. Um, And we see that for Jesus, he valued community so much, he gathered both large and small. We're told that he met weekly in the synagogue. It's in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. It was his habit. So look at this scripture. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up on the Sabbath day, On the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, or as was his habit. Here's what I find really interesting. That word habit, that Greek word referring to Jesus of his habit to be in the large gathering, is the same word in Hebrews 10.25 where he says, some are in the habit of not gathering. Same word, two different approaches to the spiritual life. And we know not only did he value the large gathering, but he valued the small. He hung out with 12 all the time, right? Close community. In John 3.22, it says he spent time with them. The Greek word, uh, diatribo, is is to mean beside and to rub. So it's like rubbing beside. He rubs shoulders with those 12 all the time. And so if walking with God was important to him, but also being in community, if that was important to him, should it not be? Don't we need it more than he does? Don't we need it more than him? So let's hang with that, because he even needed a band of brothers. A number of people who do surveys on the state of the American church, Barna, Tom Rainier are two of the main ones, they've noticed a similar trend among people who say they follow Jesus in the United States of America. The research found that prior to COVID, the average Christian attended church twice a month. That was the average. Post-COVID, it's dropped. Now nearly one out of three church folk attend on average a little over once a month. It ends up being three times in two months for a third of people who say they follow Jesus. I'm not saying that they, I mean, they don't, just who claim him. So post-COVID, some people have become literally once-a-monthers. Once-a-monthers. Most of us here are taking the gathering seriously. Most of us are taking it seriously. But I have to be honest. Some of us here fit the statistics. We fit the statistics. And Jordan and I said it two weeks ago when we talked about spiritual drift. We don't want 12th Avenue to be a statistic. We want us to be a community that's countercultural, that's different than the trend that a lot of churches are going on and a lot of Christians are going on, we don't want to be a t- statistic. We want to be people who are engaged, fully engaged with Him, who gather and who grow with Him. 
I want to talk for a minute for those of you the families, young families especially, especially the dads on why this is so important. Or if you're going to be a dad someday, this is for you. But it's, it's for those of families. When I was in seminary, I took a, care, a class with Ron Habermas. He was one of my favorite professors. And he gave us some educational theory stuff that would help us think about how people are formed in the image of Jesus and how a church can help. And he, he shared a concept that's the thing that most I most remember from that class. And it's the concept of explicit versus implicit curriculum. And he said, educators all know this, that, that explicit curriculum are the things that you say and teach verbally in your class. Implicit curriculum are the things that you don't ever say, but that you do. And of those two kind of curriculum, which one do you think the students most catch? The explicit or the implicit? What do you think? What's that? Yeah, the implicit, right? The implicit. Because we all know this, more is communicated by our actions than is communicated by our words. We all know that. So moms and dads, especially dads, if you talk about the value of Jesus, okay, if you talk about the value of Jesus, but you only occasionally show up to the gathering, if you talk about the value of Jesus, but it is your habit, and I want to use that word habit, it's your habit to take your family to other events rather than the the gathering the body, if that's a habit, I just want you to know, your children are watching and they're learning a very, very important thing that's more important to them than what you say. What they're learning is, is that this community doesn't really matter very much. It really doesn't matter. Because even little kids, they're smart, and they know, inherently we know this, people regularly and faithfully do what's important to them. And if you don't do something regularly and faithfully, Kids are smart. That means it's not really important. And if kids grow up in that kind of environment, I can tell you, uh, I know because I've known a lot of them. I worked with college students for like 29 years. I still hang out with a lot of college students. Whenever somebody leaves home and goes to college and they grow up in that environment, do you know what commonly happens? They bail on church because it's not deeply valued by them because that's what they learn in the implicit curriculum. I spoke with an educator this week, and we talked about this exact thing, explicit, implicit curriculum. Here's what she said. She said, I am always asking myself, what am I really communicating to the children around me? Because what I do speaks louder than what I say. I know that the truth is you drown out what you say by what you do. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful? And I think we all know there's truth in that. So parents, I just want you to know, your life is watched and it is imitated. It's imitated. And here at 12th, we're trying to raise a generation for Christ, the next generation. We want to raise them for Christ. So make it your priority to be in the gathering regularly. And I want to tell you, in 18 years, you're going to be glad, 18 years or so, you're going to be glad you did that. And if you don't, in 18 years, you're likely going to have a lot of heartbreak. And I've got friends I talk with who experience a lot of heartbreak because of the implicit curriculum they taught their children, okay? So, just that challenge. I want to speak for a minute to those online, which means now you guys can be like, ah, good, (laughs) I can relax. And then what that means to the people online, like I never look at these cameras, but if you're online, what that means is, uh, oh, time to go get another cup of coffee, right? Garen wants to say something to us. But if you're online, don't get that. I want you to hang in there for just a minute. 
I want you to hang in there for a minute. If you're online and you're at home because you have a significant health issue and you're dying to be here, you, if you could, you would be here. I'm not talking to you, okay? I'm not talking to you. If you're in the hospital right now because you just gave birth to a child and you're online, okay? Steve and Aaron, I'm not talking to you guys, all right? Not talking to you. If you're at home today with a sick child, I'm not talking to you. If right now you're on the road because you're going to visit family, which is really important, and while you're driving, you're watching the service, first, I want to know, what are you doing? Like, pull over, (laughs) get on the side of the road, (laughs) get in a rest stop, finish the service, then get back on the road. But I'm not talking to you, okay? I'm not talking to you. There are people overseas who watch us every evening, for them in their time zone, it's in the evening. I'm not talking to them. But I am sure there are COVID holdovers who are staying home right now, who are home in your PJs with coffee um, on your couch because it's comfortable and it's convenient. Um, I know there are. I wish I could have that experience. I can't. Maybe I should show up here on Sundays like with coffee and in my pajamas. You don't want to see me that way. Um, Here's what I want to say to you, if that's you. We need you. And you need us. Is that not true? We all need each other. Imagine doing that with your family. And this is for anybody, because who knows, another COVID may come around. Imagine that the only relationship you have with your family is digital. You only relate to them on Zoom or on FaceTime. Can you even imagine that? But let me take it a step further. Imagine in that digital relationship, you can't even relate back. You just sit and listen. Nobody would relate to their family that way. I want to show 2 John chapter 12. Some of us were at a conference on John and all the books he wrote recently. And when we read this verse, it really profoundly, it grabbed me. It's very profound. So in 2 John 12, he wrote this. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. Isn't that profound? That if you want complete joy, you've got to meet with brothers and sisters face to face, face to face. So if this morning I've talked to you, then my challenge is is I think it's time to come back to the body, right? So enough said, enough said about that. So practice two of engagement is to gather. It's walking with each other as we walk with God. It's spurring one another on to love and good deeds. It is encouraging each other all the more as we see the day of Christ approaching. It's encouraging each other daily. That's what the second one is. So, David Wuth, come on up. Dave and I are going to have a conversation for a few minutes. We want to talk about this, this value of gathering. David is a dear friend. And over the years, I have really come to respect, I'll say it to you, I've respect how much ICU value community in a lot of ways. And I appreciate you calling you brother and having you in the family. And so just wanted to ask you some stuff. Um, You've got some stories that relate to this. Um, One of them, I mean, I just want to know, like, where did that come from for you, that value of community? I know you've had a life-shaping event that affected that. Like, tell us about that. Yeah, when I was, uh, by the way, I love you too. When I was a junior in high school, I have an older brother one year ahead of me. um, And 
he was a very strong spiritual leader and still is. He's a pastor today. But he got uh, one of our mutual friends and me, and he said, let's drive to school every morning early, and let's pray before school. We did that every day throughout the year. Well, we probably missed one or two, but pretty much it was a habit that we would go to school and pray. And uh, throughout that year, we had three friends who came to know the Lord, two guys and one girl. Um, and they, in turn, brought their families. And those families, actually, most of the, well, the families that are left are still involved in church. And one of the two guys uh, spent 35 years with his wife on the mission field. So these were really strong converts. And this happened because we three guys, actually, was four, uh, five of us at the end, um, we were getting together and praying together. We were living in community. And um, we were taking our spiritual life seriously. And I saw all this great stuff happen. And God was so real. Um, then that group, those four other guys all graduated. And they went off to Christian school. And I was alone and actually, I was the only older boy in the group. The rest of them were girls. So I really didn't have anybody to relate with. And my whole spiritual walk just fell apart. Um, in fact, I, in truth, started some sin habits that are honestly still a part to this day, things that I have to fight with and struggle with. So, um, yeah. Thanks for that honesty. I mean, sin really does flourish in isolation, doesn't oh, it? absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And drift. So, Thrives on it. Yeah. So, you, you can use the habit, and as we talked, this really community has become a habit for you. And sometimes we hear that word and it's negative, right? We have negative connotation of a habit. But a habit can be a good thing if it's moving me towards something more important. Where did you get that habit? How did that come into your life? Uh, my dad was a pastor. And we were in church when the doors were unlocked, pretty much. So my mom and dad definitely put in what you were talking about. They valued the group meeting together, and they showed it by making sure we were there. And most of the time we wanted to be, but we probably all went through that little time in high school when we didn't want to be, but you know, guess what? We were anyway. So, And how has that habit played out in your life? Yeah. What's the value that you've seen come out of that? Um, there was a time when my other brother, another brother, I have a whole slew of them. Uh, my little brother, Tim, we lived in Oroville, California together and could not find a good church. So we'd go to this church, but ugh, so legalistic. So the next week we'd try another church and there was hardly any mention of the scripture in that church. So it seemed like in that church, there was one or the other. Um, so we actually quit going to church for maybe two weeks at a time. And then we'd just have to go back. We'd have to go back and try again because it was a habit. Our habit on Sunday morning was to get up and go to church. We eventually did find a church that you know, wasn't particularly strong in the preaching department. But we had friends there and we'd get together and we had Bible studies and we helped each other live the Christian life. Yeah, and that carried over. You moved to Emporia, and how did Indeed that carry I over did. here? 
um, when, before I even moved here, I knew I was coming here, so I looked online and found a group of churches. I did not check this one because this is a Baptist church, and I don't do Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you on that. So. Uh, I, yeah, I had sworn I'd never walk in another Baptist church again, but I did. Um, the one I went to, I had a really hard time connecting with, and it's a good church. It's here in town. It's an excellent church with super preaching and all that. When I walked in here, I, as I shared once before, I was invited by a little four-year-old girl to come sit with us. And then also I was invited like my third week here, I think. Lisa Hubner came and um, said, hey, we have small groups. Would you like to be in one? And I said, yes, because I already knew that a small group is, I mean, I look out here and frankly, there's a lot of people whose names I do not know. But in my small group, I know all the names. Took me three years, but I'm there. Um, so let's see, where was I going with this? Oh, I've just lost track. I mean, but you carried that over to Emporia and got very involved here in community. Yes, the small group, because I know I have to have a small group. The large group, because, man, when we get together, my favorite thing is the singing, the worship. And when I'm out there and can hear everybody singing, it just draws my heart to the Lord. Up here, I don't get to hear you as much, and I miss that very much. Um, so sing louder so I can hear. Yeah, and even you have your COVID experience and the large yes. gathering. Talk about that. Yeah, when COVID hit and we were forced to stay home, I, I would watch Garen's message um, and the service as it got a little bigger. I would watch the same thing from my home church back in Nevada. And I also would watch my brother Ted, the pastor in Southern California. I would watch his. So I was doing three sermons and not having a church experience at all. And I really, even as... You were talking this second service. I was thinking about my experience at Village when COVID shut down and we couldn't touch the kids anymore or we couldn't see them anymore except online. It was horrible. Yeah. And we finally got to go back and I could give them fist bumps because we couldn't shake hands anymore, but um, high, mostly fist bumps. Um, such a difference. All of a sudden, I felt like I was a part of their life again. And same thing here, when I walk in and I see somebody, especially if I haven't seen them for a while, which usually it's a week, sometimes more, um, I see him and I'm so glad to see him. And it's a part of the church, you know, even the fist bump. I got a lot of fist bumps this morning. And just that little touch, it, it's part of being a family. Say a little bit more about small groups. You've been involved here the whole time you've been here in small groups. What, what do you find in those groups that are so important to your spiritual life? A couple of things. Um, something else that I thought of. In my small group, uh, there was a woman talking once about her struggle to forgive and how God had finally enabled her to forgive. And that did two things for me. One, really helped me to love her more and respect her more because I know how hard it is to forgive. And the other thing it did was to remind me that, hey, I need to forgive too. So it's an, 
both um, an endearing thing and also an encouragement to me. Um, secondly, you get to know, and for me, the men. Um, there's a man in that group with whom I meet regularly, and he holds me accountable. And then uh, kind of the same thing happened in Rooted. Uh, met a man there, and we've recently been meeting together to hold each other accountable. And those, that's really where the rubber meets the road. You're, it seems like the smaller the group, the more intimate you become. So we've got to have this great big group because, man, there's just something about corporate worship that doesn't happen with two guys. Yeah. But you've got to have the two or three guys because then you can really let yourself down and go, hey, man, I, I sinned again. It was the same old sin. Pray for me. Yeah. And they do. Yep. Yeah. The importance of both large and small. One other thing, you were in a rooted group and we're, we have several of those going and it's something we'd like everybody at some point to go through. What, what did you value about that group? Um, first of all, I loved, it's really very basic, just the fundamentals of the Christian faith. So if you're a new Christian, absolutely do it. But if you're an age old Christian, it's not like I didn't learn anything. I learned a lot. And Part of that is, this is how I can tell other people about the Lord. And secondly, I got some new friends. There are people now who I didn't even know their names before, but now I consider them friends. And uh, yeah, there's actually a couple of them over sitting over in that section. So, and I, and I will say, the worship team has been the same thing for me. A small yeah. group. Because I have friends there that didn't used to be friends. And, uh, you know, family. Yeah. They have all become family. This time of year is when we're really ramping up small groups. And we've been promoting in the last few weeks, been talking a lot about Rooted. If you're not in a small group, I really encourage you, challenge you to, to do that. You can get online. I don't remember exactly where it's at. Somewhere under community or resources that you can get in, see what the groups are, and sign up for that. Um, we still have... A number of openings on the Rooted. It's really great material. I think it's a great way to get to know people. So really challenge you if, you've, if you do the large gathering but haven't yet done the small, um, that, there's, that both are really important. Um, David, thank you. He is one of our 500 ministers at 12. Can we give him our thanks for him coming up and sharing his story? Good job. Love that guy. So, practice two of engagement is gather, walking with each other as we seek to walk with God. It's so important. Um, and you know, you guys know this, on any journey, on any quest, we need a community of people around us. We need a fellowship to join us. Uh, I love so much about the Lord of the Rings, but part of the genius of that story is, is that quest was too big for Frodo to do alone. And he needed a band of brothers. He needed six others who would go with him on that mission, on that journey to help him do that. And I just love that about that book. I love the fact that he calls the very first of the three books, volumes in that, the Fellowship of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Rings, because he knew the importance. So I want to finish by looking at those two verses again. Those two verses, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. I'm going to read them. 
let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us consider, let us think about how we can do that. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. I'd just like you to take a minute, and I want you to reflect on that scripture. And just before God, reflect on your own life. And, you know, what do you need to hear from that? Or do you need to be challenged from that? Do you need to be encouraged by it? Um, Just take a minute and reflect on that before the Lord. There's two groups of people in that verse, those two verses, right? There's those who've made it their ongoing habit of considering how to spur each other to love and good deeds and encouraging each other. And there are those in this verse who have their habit is the, to neglect the gathering of the body. And so just bow your heads if you are, haven't already done that. And just before God... Um, Have a short conversation. How is God speaking to you this morning? How is he challenging you with his scripture? So just take a minute and talk to him about that. And as you pray and think about that, I'm just curious, what is God asking you to do? What would your next step be? Maybe for some of us, it might be like, wow, I've really drifted in this. I need to to re-up on that, my commitment to the gathering body. For others of this morning, it's like, that is important. Lord, I'm trying to give my life to that. Help me drill that even deeper into my heart. Help me to stay connected deeply to to community, to, to just keep doing that so that I don't drift. Okay, you can look up if you feel free. So God invites us not only into relationship with himself. We talked about that last week. He invites us into community with other people who are walking towards him. And if you're at a place that, frankly, you've neglected um, community, if you've neglected the gathering, perhaps today is the day for you to say, I've got to do that. I'm recommitting to that. In Hebrews 3, twice, when he was talking about spiritual drift, he said, today, today. Actually, three times in chapter 3, today. So if you neglect that, I just challenge you today to do that. And if you do, I want to tell you that you will find the truth of a promise Jesus gave in Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30, where he said a very profound thing about his family, where he said this, that if you, and I'm going to paraphrase if you don't mind, if you are willing to give up everything for my, for the gospel and for my sake, you're willing to give up everything, to even lose father, mother, brother, sister for me. 
I will give you a hundredfold. Fathers, mothers, brothers, and sisters in this life and in the life to come, eternal life. That's his promise. And I found that true in my own life. That over the course of my journey, as Pat and I have been committed, even before I knew her, to gathering the body that God has given me. Hundreds of people that were fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers and mothers and brothers and sisters to me. And I don't know how I would have made it through my Christian life without that family. So jump in, dive in, because 12th, you know this, we need each other. We need each other. And not just on a superficial level. We need that deep, authentic community. So would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? Twelfth, so may we be a community of people that values community, that we are committed to gathering both large and small because we know we need that to keep moving towards Jesus, right? Not, not to show we're spiritual or check boxes for God, but because we know to walk well with Him, we need that. So may we be a place that we are known by our commitment to spurring each other on to love and good deeds, that we're known as a community of people who encourage each other regularly, and that we're not known as a community of people who just show up when they want or neglect the body of the believers. May we be that kind of community because this culture desperately needs to see people who have a true family, a true body, who love his bride. Uh, desperately are you needing that. So can we say amen to that? We say amen to that. Yeah, if you're in on that, raise your hand. Like, I am for that. I'm totally in with Jesus and with his community. So let me pray. Father, thank you. You exist in community. Thank you how you designed us for it, how important it is. Thank you for the role it's played in my own life and helping me to, as I try to walk with you, that I've got a band of brothers who are around me, sisters, and um, I thank you so much for that reality. Lord, help us to, to be committed to this, not just to walking with you, but to be walking with each other arm in arm as we spur each other on to love and good deeds, as we encourage each other daily. And the more we see your coming, Jesus approaching. So make us that kind of body. Only you can do that. Only your spirit can do that. Make 12th a place that's different than the church statistics. We really do long to be a biblical community of kingdom people. That's our deep desire. So make us that kind of people. And we pray in your name, Jesus, the one who showed us the way, was valued and was engaged in both large and small community. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, 12th, we've gathered as a community, but now we need to be sent as a community because there's a world out there that doesn't know Jesus and needs him, right? So 12th, you are sent.